In January, the International Committee of Medical Journal Editors issued a proposal to support the routine sharing of data from clinical trials. Responses from the research community have varied, as a number of organizations have forged ahead with tools and standards for data sharing. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Harlan Krumholtz, a professor of medicine and epidemiology and public health at the Yale School of Medicine. Dr. Krumholtz has co-authored a perspective article on the Yale Open Data Access, or YODA, project. Dr. Krumholtz, as a researcher, what are your thoughts about sharing data from your own clinical trials, and how do you frame data sharing when you interact with your researcher colleagues? Well, you know, I'm uh, very much in favor of the idea of data sharing. I think it's highly efficient use of resources. It's in society's best interest. It honors the contributions of the participants in our studies. And it forges a sort of collaboration across scientists in an effort to try to solve problems together and, and pushes back against this idea that we need to protect and sequester our own data and not let other people see it. It also provides the opportunity for crowdsourcing so that if there have been any issues in the data that multiple eyes looking at it from different perspectives can help discern that. It's never easy to create a data set and then to let it go. It's like your baby. You've worked hard on it. And when we worked, for example, on a clinical trial, a telehealth trial, a study of telemonitoring in patients with heart failure that was funded by the NIH and whose principal publication was published in the New England Journal of Medicine, it was, you know, something we talked a lot about, how we would want to be able to share the data that we had accumulated with others. And we were pretty proud of the fact that we were, you know, able to de-identify it and prepare it, bring it back to the NIH, and then enable other people to use it. I'd be remiss if I said that was emotionally easy. It wasn't. It was something that's difficult. And you also have the sense of data that you've collected that you want to be able to share with your colleagues, with people who contributed to the sites, to the other investigators who put in time. So there needs to be a culture where we're benefiting from other people sharing, they're benefiting from our sharing, and the people who are generating the data are getting some credit for that sharing. And that's what we need to work on, I think, in science. What I've encountered with a lot of my colleagues is uh, being anchored in a culture that they grew up in, which basically said that it was your data, it was at your discretion whether or not you wanted to publish it, and it was something you could hold as an asset for the entirety of your career in order to use whenever and however you wanted, that you could deflect other people's interest in your data and you could shield other people from actually seeing your data. And what I heard from some very prominent investigators were things like, no one but my team could really possibly understand the data, that there were so many small decisions that were made in the course of producing the data that only we can understand how best to use it. And to me, that was essentially saying the data were unauditable, that there had been undocumented things that had been done in the course of the research which had been lost, uh, not accurately or comprehensively, documented to the extent that anyone could just pick up the database and understand what had been done. The metadata, so to speak, the data which defined the variables, which explained how things were done, were not adequate to enable other people to use it. And that seemed to me to be a reflection of poor scientific process. And so this common refrain about only we can understand the data seemed to me to be actually a perfect illustration of why we needed to push common standards and be able to share data so that we could ensure that in the process of producing the research that we're keeping the records in a way that anyone could take a look at the data and be able to see them, understand them, and actually use them. You point out in your article that physicists, astronomers, geneticists, they're already sharing data. What's different about medical research? What are some of the unique problems with sharing medical research data? Let's start with the culture. I think there are some of these unique issues about personal health information and our need to protect the privacy of individuals, which is, you know, critically important. But there's also a culture in clinical research whereby 
people have felt that this is their asset, that their blood, sweat, and tears went into the generation of this. And without, to the exclusion of an appreciation for necessarily those who supported it financially, the contributions of the participants, and the kind of benefit that could be gleaned from other people having access to it. And in academics, it's sort of, you know, these are the keys to the kingdom. I mean, if you have a lot of data, then you are in a strong position with regard to who you get grant permission to, the people that want to work with you. I mean, the degree to which it's a proprietary asset is the degree to which you are in a remarkable position with regard to your career. So that culture, you know, sort of emerged to the extent where many research projects actually don't even end up in publications. And we were sort of permissive about the idea that people could do the research and not really publish the results. And so I think that was the overriding issue that has led to the status quo. Now, in the course of sharing data, there are technical challenges that are important for us to overcome, but I do believe that they're solvable, and they have to do with the idea of protecting the individual's identity first and foremost. But we have ways to de-identify data. We have ways to protect the security of the data. And so we have these extra considerations in medicine, but I don't believe it's really the technical challenges that are impeding our progress, but more a sense of who owns the data and what kind of control can they have over it. The Yoda Project goes back to 2011. Can you tell us how it began and what the impetus was? I was involved early on in the Vioxx litigation. I had been approached by plaintiff's lawyers to get involved in the case, and I hadn't ever done something like that before. And what attracted me to get involved in that case was the idea that it was going to be possible to understand the scientific process and the way in which science was conducted in ways that would previously have been impossible because they had access to all the internal communications, the emails, in addition the data and the communications with the FDA and other scientists, there was a chance to sort of really dig in and understand what are some of the opportunities to improve the scientific enterprise. And of course, in the Vioxx litigation, it came out that there was a lot of ghostwriting and, and there were seeding trials, these marketing trials that were run and, and some data manipulation that occurred. The New England Journal was involved in some of this. But, but I think importantly, what became clear to me was that the the lack of transparency in science enabled things to occur which weren't necessarily in society's best interest. And, and I'm not even suggesting that, that there were villains here, but just that people's own cognitive biases, the way that they look at data, the way they think about things, what their position is, leads them on a certain pathway. And when the raw data in particular aren't available for others to look at and maybe see in a different way or be able to raise questions about it, it becomes easy for misdirection to occur. And it started, I guess, on my own personal journey of thinking about one of the things we need to be able to do is to provide the opportunity for more open science, more data sharing, more opportunities for people to be looking at each other's data, collaborating and advancing science in a positive direction. We were in the midst of writing a series of articles about publication bias, about ghostwriting, about seeding trials, about some of these issues that we thought needed to be better in medicine. Our team, and Joe Ross is a, a great colleague of mine, was a junior faculty member who has also played a key role with me in this. And, you know, we, we're sort of saying, you know, we don't want to just be the ones who are identifying the problem. You know, what about some solutions? And the kind of solutions people have been bantering around, I mean, there, there are legislative and regulatory uh, requirements that could be imposed. 
You could compel people to share through the litigation. That's another path to force this. But we said, look, what if we were able to forge collaboration as the principal means by which this could occur? Well, we tried to understand what were some of the concerns of data holders and how could those concerns be addressed in a collaborative, positive fashion by the development of policies that would both put them in a position of greater comfort around those issues that concern them and accelerate the dissemination of the data to the public and to other scientists. And so we saw this opportunity with Medtronic where they were in the midst of a bit of a crisis around one of their drugs. There had been a lot of issues being raised about the drug and questions about the data that existed around it. And we saw it as an opening to approach Medtronic and say, this could be an opportunity for you to take a bold step by saying you were willing to release all the data that you have that's related to this product. I had long been writing that for the privilege of selling a product, you should be willing to share all the clinical research data you have about that product because this is now, you, you've got the approval, you're selling, and people's lives are at stake, and so people should be able to be as informed as possible. Scientists from anywhere should be able to look at the data that was generated that supported the approval. And so we went to Medtronic and through the course of multiple conversations, prevailed on them to give this a try. And what their requirements were, were that there be some science to it, that this not be something that's being used for commercial interest or for litigation, and that we be tracking the publications associated with it, and so that there was real transparency on the researcher side. Our requirements were Medtronic couldn't play any role in approving who could use it, that we would have full jurisdiction and authority over the release, and that we would be able to pick you know, an advisory board and to have this overseen in an independent fashion. There was one other thing they asked, which was, before we released it publicly, they wanted to have an independent review of the data, so there at least stood out there one independent review by a highly credible group. And what we said was, let's have two groups do it, because we also, since we're being paid by Medtronic to distribute their data, we didn't want there to be any question of conflict of interest. And we wanted to say it would be really implausible that we could find two world-famous review organizations who were going to be complicit in some kind of a conflict of interest issues, and they agreed. So this is what sort of launched Yoda as a trustworthy intermediary, but a group that would have authority and jurisdiction over providing approval for who could use the data, but also would be working closely with the data holder to ensure that they understood that there was going to be responsible use of the data. That didn't mean censoring. It didn't mean anything more than ensuring that someone had a proposal, they would pre-specify what they wanted to do, and that that pre-specification would be posted publicly as a sort of registration of the work that they wanted to do. So I understand that the Yoda data request website was launched in late 2014, and within the first year, the Johnson & Johnson companies altogether had made data from 123 trials available. Are there plans now to expand beyond Johnson & Johnson? How big could Yoda get? So just to make the links, we were doing this with Medtronic, and then we started a conversation with Johnson & Johnson, and Johnson Johnson also agreed to do this, unlike Medtronic, which was making available data from one product. Johnson Johnson said they actually wanted to do this for all their products, starting with the Janssen subsidiary and all the drugs, and moving to all the devices within their device group. And you're right, they committed to making available over 120 trials and granting to Yale the authority and jurisdiction to make approvals for who could use it, in essence, the trusted intermediary who was overseeing this process. You know, we're a university. We're not a for-profit company. We're not seeking business, but what we're trying to do is establish a track record and policies that show that this is feasible, it can work well, it can produce good science, and that it can be a win-win for everybody involved. We're also seeking to figure out what are the best ways to decrease the cost, make it more affordable, and to create a sustainable model, ultimately, that can not put all of the burden of the cost on the data holders, but find some ways to share costs with the data users as well. 
But we're open and interested in others who want to try this model. We ultimately want to demonstrate that there can be policies in place which are not overly burdensome, which can accelerate the use of data generally, which can give credit to those who generate the data, and can ultimately provide the tools to implement the kind of policies that the medical editors are talking about in their statement. So finally, what do you see as the next steps toward more widespread, more responsible, more productive data sharing? I think that one of our challenges now is to show that the efforts and investments in making data available can pay dividends. So we have to be sure that people know about it. We have to, I think, track what's successful about it and what's not. We need to be accountable for the resources that are being expended to show that this is, in fact, leading to better and more high-quality science. I think that the academic institutions really need to get on board. We've seen the pharmaceutical companies show more enthusiasm for this kind of approach, interestingly, than the academic institutions. The ICMGE policy will stimulate the academic institutions to find solutions. It will create demand in the marketplace to try to find ways to do this, and that's going to be good. But it's going to be up to us to find ways that aren't overly difficult to implement. So what we're saying in this piece, and what I think is going to generally occur, is there needs to be an impetus to do this. We need to find the platforms that can support it and do so in ways that aren't overly expensive or burdensome. And then we need to be accountable for what all of this action has produced to demonstrate that it has, in fact, achieved something better for society. And we are seeing a sea change from where we were even five or ten years ago. There's much more appreciation, willingness, and enthusiasm and excitement around opportunities to share data. It's up to us, I think, to see this through to its natural conclusion as something that's now integrated throughout the culture of medical scientific research and with the support systems in place to ensure that we maintain the security, that the privacy is protected, and that the best science is produced. And we create a culture whereby collaboration is fostered. And again, I'll just keep coming back to this, and that in the academic setting, we've aligned the incentives so when people share, they get credit. And I go back to like the Human Genome Project which there is so much good work that's been generated out of that resource, and yet, you know, the people who generated that aren't on all those articles. But the people who played fundamental roles are given credit for the work that they did. We need to be able to find that generally throughout medicine, and I think this step by the journal editors, if the final recommendation follows, what they put out there can be such an important step in this direction. Thank you, Dr. Krumholtz.